The point of sale interfaces to over 40 different systems in retail. This is the supply side as well. When something gets sold and, and you want to be able to track the sales and, and what was sold, that comes out of the point of sale system. Now, every one of those 40 vendors say they have a standard API. The problem is that it's standard to them. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm Elevate IQ. The lines are blurring between traditional retail supply chains with trends such as DTC and buy online, pick up at store. With large retailers offering such convenience, it's harder for small retailers to compete. These models require you to have fulfillment centers within 20 miles of the customer location to match the delivery time expectations of consumers. This need drives the business architecture complexity with cross interactions between hybrid systems ranging from POS, e-commerce and ERP, which drives the need for an enterprise glue and a common data model. In today's episode, we have our guest Richard Halter, who describes the challenges associated with buy online, pick up at store model. He also talks about why small retailers and manufacturers would need to develop these capabilities to avoid risk of running out of business because of competitors such as Amazon. Finally, he has described several nuances associated with this model and the approach retailers can take to implement it. Let me introduce Richard to you. He is the pioneer of the first online credit card authorization system in 1994. He is the chief technology architect for ARTS system, it's A-R-T-S, and wrote a book on retail technology called ARTS for Retail. He has worked with or trained major retailers and vendors in over 20 countries on seven continents. They represent over 100,000 stores. He also created a unique iVerm model, it's I-V-U-R-M, that cross-connects business strategy to business processes to enterprise architecture to people to business intelligence to retail applications. It is designed to help retailers move into the new agile microservices world by understanding all the potential interconnections. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you. My pleasure. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and current focus, Richard? Okay, my personal story. Well, I started in 1994 while well, I was working with secure remote connectivity in the government area. And a company wanted to be able to do online credit card authorizations without having to go through a call center. And so I wrote the first online credit card authorization system. And that drove me to a, a company called McDonald's 
because they were wanting to eventually have their regional managers know what was going on in the store. And my background was exactly what they needed. And that got me into the food service world. And they sent me over to this group called ARCH, the Association of Retail Technology Standards, to help create interconnectivity standards for use in retail. And that led me for a big chunk of my career. I ended up working over there. I wrote a book on retail technology and how to interconnect it. I have written or created 40 YouTube videos explaining various aspects of retail technology. I've worked with retailers and vendors in 20 countries all over the world. I've spoke at major events. I had one big one was in Japan. They flew me to Japan for 15-minute video or presentation, and there were 700 people in the room. And I was told later that the most they'd ever had for that for that presentation was around three to four hundred people. Oh, wow. So they you ended are a up popular guy, Richard, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at least I, I claim so. You have to ask my wife on that one. Yeah, they, they had a standing room only. They actually had to turn away people. I think they said they had like 1,300 sign up for it, but they had to turn a bunch of them away. And the, the latest one that I did was just before the, the pandemic hit, and it was with the Retail Analytics Council in uh, the Chicago area. Yeah. And there I was talking about how do you connect robots to the retail applications. The room was full of robotic people and yeah. they had no concept of how to how to integrate their work with the retail technology world. So lots of things. Okay. Amazing. And I'm super excited to discuss all of those things as well, just because as we all know, retail is changing and it is changing more with COVID. But before we do that, we have a standard question that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be, Richard, your perspective on business growth. When you think of growth, what does it mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. And that's actually my primary focus today. In all of those videos, it's helping people understand various aspects of where retail is going. And the virus really pushed them over the edge. Retail started with somebody opening up a store. Then they'd open up a second store and a third store. And pretty soon they needed a common data model. So they'd, they'd build a silo around that. Then they needed a common inventory system. So they build a silo around that. And today, when you look at most major retailers, they've got this massively siloed organization. And changing to handle the buy online pickup in the store model has been an incredible challenge for them. It's like changing directions of a battleship versus a speedboat. Yeah. When you look at the modern microservices agile world, that's where you go because now you can change directions in a heartbeat. And that's what my I have actually created a model called Ivrum, I V U R M for interactive virtual unified retail model to help people move into that area. Yeah, amazing. So a couple of things from the from the audience perspective. So my audience primarily, Richard, is the SMB manufacturers, retailers, distributors. So if we talk about, let's say, the enterprise world, obviously, they would have a lot more understanding of things like microservices. But in the SMB world, the way the business architecture is going to be or the system architecture is going to be, for them, it's just a package. Okay, that's how they like to define. So, <laughs> so for example, I mean, they might have a bunch of systems in their architecture but for the most part, they don't necessarily have the IT guys, a lot of them, the way enterprise companies would have. So we need to be slightly gentle in terms of the way we describe these concepts for them. So obviously, 
they are going to be equally impacted with the concept called buy online and pick up at store but when we think about this architecture especially from the smb perspective how do you see the siloed information or siloed systems being barrier for this business model well that's actually a great question because of the buy online pick up in store model time is of the essence okay somebody wants to call in in the morning and they want to pick up something in the afternoon and that means that the ability to deliver items to the customers direct to consumer in some aspects is absolutely critical and that changes the manufacturing side of this it moves their ability to supply the retailers closer to the retailer so you no longer ship it from somewhere 1000 miles away you've got to be able to ship it from somewhere 20 miles away and that's a huge impact on the entire manufacturing distribution world so yeah so that's a massive shift i would say in the warehouse architecture the way i like to think about it right so let's say if you are saying that everything needs to be 20 miles away and if you look at from the cost perspective obviously i'm not going to be opening my warehouse or the retail store unless i have the enough business in that specific area right so how do you see this changing for the retailers or distributors how they should be planning the shift in terms of changing their overall retail store architecture or the warehouse architecture well it's a that's not just the warehouse the difference between the warehouse and the, and the supply side Yeah. is getting really tight. You know, bigger stores and bigger companies have warehouses. They can move closer, but smaller companies don't. So they have to get the stuff directly from the manufacturers or the or their wholesalers or wherever. So it's not a clear-cut line between what like it used to be where the manufacturers would sell it to to somebody and then they would distribute it and, and all that. It's it's gotten to where you almost order immediately and like i was starting to talk about the direct to consumer is a whole new thing because the consumer themselves are ordering directly from the manufacturer so the manufacturer can be an integral part of the entire retail model right so if the consumers are directly ordering from the manufacturers then is a retailer going to be involved in that interaction is distributor going to be involved in that interaction my understanding of that model is that you order directly from the manufacturer and manufacturer is going to ship it as well so then the retailer and distributors are not involved in that interaction at all right there's two ways to look at that yes the general way to look at it is the the retailers themselves won't be directly involved but there are models where the retailers are and, and they provide the direct connection to the manufacturers so you as a in consumer may not even realize that you're ordering it from the manufacturer all right so let's talk about some examples so let's say i have a story and obviously we work with a lot of different retailers in the d2c model as well so let's say if i have my retailer and they are manufacturer as well of the food products and what they are doing is they are slightly smaller maybe 10 to 20 million dollar is the revenue that they are getting and they are very localized in their services because they might have their own fleets that they might be utilizing to be able to deliver the food item especially let's say if they are in the frozen food space right so if this is the case now these consumers are going to be ordering directly and uh, they are going to expect let's say the shorter time frame 
So in the traditional model, even if you have, let's say, five days to fulfill the order, that may be okay. But with COVID, I think you, we are going to have shorter lead time in terms of the ordering of the product. And you mentioned this towards the beginning of the conversation as well. So how do you see the overall architecture or the warehouses or the stores changing in this particular example for this manufacturer? That is, it's going to be a mess. Okay, that's what I like to hear. (laughs) Tell me more. You've got to be able to not only deal with traditional model, you've got to deal with the direct consumer model. You've got to deal and compete with this little company called Amazon that has got distributors everywhere now. And so it's no longer a, a nice, safe clean dividing line between the manufacturers and the and the retailers and even the customers. It's all becoming one. The world is becoming a customer-driven world, no longer a retailer. So if the customer wants something, they want it, and they want it as quickly as they can get it. And so uh, speed is becoming of the essence on this. Okay. So let's say if I have a retailer who has never explored buy online, pick up at the store model, right? So what are the changes they can expect in the overall architecture to be able to deliver this? So let's say if I'm a traditional retailer, I'm simply selling in my my local geography. I may not have my e-commerce portal right now. I don't maybe have much of the traffic from the e-commerce perspective. So tell me how the architecture needs to be designed or aligned so that I can serve my customers in the new model. Okay, there's a model out there called a CQRS, and it stands for the ability to take two data models. One data model contains information from each retail transaction that gets summarized into the second data model. And I'm getting kind of geeky here, but that's kind of a key thing there. One of the big problems with buy online pickup in the store is when you get to the store, you decide you want to buy something that's in the store itself. So now you've got a separate transaction that you want to you as a customer want to pay with when you pick up the online component. So how do you manage merging all of that stuff together? And that's the the heart of this the CQRS model. Yeah, tell me more about the CQRS model. I get the gist of it, but I mean, break it down for a CFO. So let's say if I'm the CFO and I have no idea what CQRS model is. So describe to me why I should care for it. What are going to be the advantage if I try to implement in my organization? And what are going to be the business benefits? Well, the, the beauty of it is you have, like I said, two data models. One data model has every transaction uniquely entered into it. The second data model summarizes the ones that are related into one final transaction. And when when the customer comes in and pays for their items and picks up the items, the second transaction model gets turned into a retail transaction, which is where you actually count your profit. When it's in the second model, it's called a customer order model. The customer order is a liability for the retailer. So if the customer comes in and cancels it, you know, you can't include it in your profit. You don't have to pay taxes on it and all those kinds of things. But once they've paid for it and they've picked it up, then it becomes part of your profit. It impacts your inventory. It impacts your sales and all of those kind of things. And of course, your customer information is a huge part of that as well. So there's actually, in effect, three steps to it. The first step is 
all of the individual transactions, no matter where they're sourced from. The second step is summarizing those into a single one. And then the third step is when you actually get to account for it. So help me understand these data models a bit more. Again, I'm a CFO. I'm not very technical, right? So in my case, let's say if I look at my business, I'm probably going to have a Shopify is the term that I keep hearing from my technical team that they are using for the store. So that is my sort of the e-commerce front. I have a bunch of POS systems in each of my store. And then I have my accounting system, QuickBooks. Okay. So let's say if I'm utilizing these systems, what data models are you referring to? Are you referring to, let's say, the POS data model? Are you referring to the e-commerce data model or the accounting system data model? What is the data model here? Okay. That is a, that's a very fascinating question because the answer is yes to all of the above. Okay. The, the data model that I'm really talking about is a data model that actually started the Association for Retail Technologies work way back in 1994. That model has been built up for over 25 years now, and it has a model for the entire retail operational side. It has somewhere around 8,000 attributes in it, so it's really extensive. And it acts as an enterprise model. When you look at, let's take a company like Yum Brands. Yumbrance yep. has five different concepts. Each concept has a data model tailored to the sales from that concept. But now I'm the CEO of, of Yumbrance. How do I know what my overall sales are? Well, you have to be able to bring those five data models, the data from them, bring it into one enterprise model, and then you can do your analysis and decision-making based on how the company is doing. That enterprise model is the one that, that is now under OMG control. So that's the standard retail model that I was talking about. It is an incredible model if, you're not in, if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I understand that it is incredible, but I'm actually trying to understand how it is going to be relevant for me. Let's say if I'm the SMB retailer, right? So in my case, let's say when you talk about data model, I feel that that's the job of my technology people and the ERP provider that is working with me. They tell me that they have the enough business scenarios to be able to support. So again, going back to my question, should I care for the data model and drive my business processes using the data model and then select my systems? Or should I look at my systems currently and see which are the data models that are supported by the standard that you are describing so that I'm sort of defining the architecture in a way that is compliant with the retail standards. So it seems like chicken and egg problem. So tell me what comes first. Is the data model that is going to come first because that is compliant with the retail business standard? Or shall I leave this to my ERP and POS provider that let them figure out and I will talk to them when I have business problem? That's a great question. That's actually a really great question. The, the thing that you run, most people don't realize is that an application in retail, let's take the point of sale because that's an easy one. Yeah. Right? The point of sale interfaces to over 40 different systems in retail. This is the supply side as well. When something gets sold and, and you want to be able to track the sales and, and what was sold, that comes out of the point of sale system. Now, every one of those 40 vendors say they have a standard API problem is that it's standard to them. So we regularly see things like one company calling something they sell an item and somebody else calls it a good or service or something like that. The problem is, do those two things match? And in addition to that, one of them may break it apart different 
from the other one. And so being able to tie those two together in order to figure out what's going on by the CFO position is an enormous challenge. And on the supply side, being able to understand that those two different things are actually the same thing with just a different name on them. So it's an enormous problem that the standard model actually helps solve because everything's called an item. And the beauty of that is that when you get outside of retail and you start looking at connecting into other areas, like you're selling medical, you know, you have doctor visits at your store. Well, it turns out that doctors actually have the same retail model as the retailer does. And this is outside of the medicine. For example, they track inventory. They track customers. They locate items. They have associates that work for them. So that's exactly the same as the retailer has. The difference is that their items are medicine rather than bread or shirts. And I actually found this out. I was at a doctor's appointment and he was describing his business to me when the the light bulb went on. So fundamentally, any company that's selling anything, if you sell motorcycles at your store, those are items. Now they have different sets of attributes to them, but fundamentally they're the same. So you could actually take a the standard model and expand your company to do things that are outside of what you traditionally do and do it easily. Okay, amazing. So I'm still not sure if I follow this completely from my perspective, because I'm trying to figure out as a CFO of the SMB organization, if I should care for this, if this is going to be relevant for me or not. So let's say if I if I try to unpack this a bit. So in my case, I have the POS system, I have my e-commerce system, I have my ERP system. So based on the way you described, my understanding of this is going to be that, let's say, if my POS system recognizes an item as a, as a different item or they use a different word for it, then POS system is probably going to have a problem talking to, let's say, the e-commerce system or e-commerce system is going to have problems talking to ERP system. Hopefully, I mean, this is the simplistic architecture, right? And let's say if I'm using 15 different tools, they all are going to be speaking their language. So obviously, there is going to be a communication problem. And now if we are trying to go to, let's say, buy online, pick up at a store model, then obviously, I will not be able to meet the timeline that you had mentioned towards the beginning, just because of this communication problem, because everybody's trying to to speak different languages inside the system landscape, right? So in my case, let's say if I'm the CFO or COO, so again, am I talking to these companies that whether they are compliant with the standard that you are trying to, to advocate here, or am I simply going to be looking at the standard to make sure that they are able to communicate? So tell me a little bit more about why am I caring for these standards, Richard? Profit. If you have to go through the conversion routine, you impact the the speed of which you can track your money. You can uh, track the, the what you sell and how you pick up, and so it it slows down. You know, it used to be that. Let's talk about taxes briefly. You used to pay taxes on a yearly basis. They moved it down to a quarterly basis. Now it's down to a monthly basis. Some people are doing it on a weekly basis. You have the same issues with your profit. You want to be able to turn money around. I mean, think about this whole 
coronavirus thing and its impact on cash flow. Many, many, many companies have gone under, several hundred thousand, have gone under simply because they don't have the cash coming in because it takes too long from the point that they make the sale until they get the money so they can turn it around and buy more things to sell. That whole cash flow process is critical. And the smoother and easier it is, it is the better it is for the re, for the retailer and even for the manufacturers because they need to have money to buy the the stuff they use to build their their products with okay richard do you have any stories that you might be able to narrate here with respect to the work that you have done and typically what i like to see in these stories is uh, if you have worked with a customer what kind of challenges uh, they had maybe they were trying to get into let's say buy online pickup store model and obviously they did not have in the beginning and then what changes you made to the process so that they were able to perform these transactions in the in the KPIs that uh, you were trying to add and then finally they were able to meet their goals so tell us some of the stories of your work okay there's one that i really like to tell because it's probably the the best example of everything i went to a company called retalix and they were building a new point of sale system this is when 2010 and i went there and showed them how to build a what is now called a, an agile microservices architecture using all of these various standards in 2014 they showed up at the national retail federation show showing this new point of sale system that i architected for they were so successful that ncr bottom and it's now the emerald system at ncr and it it was the first one where when you showed it at the store i mean at the the show they you walked up and they had a tablet there and you order something off of the tablet so you're now buying online you walked over to a point of sale system and you added a shirt to it so now you're adding an online i mean an in-store component to your online purchase they went over to another point of sale system and that's where they paid for it so that's where the credit card system was and finally you went to a third one and that's where you actually received the items and so they had this fully dynamic fully flexible uh, system that was built up natively following the model that I helped them build in uh, 2014 okay and what were the challenges in building this model my assumption here is going to be that you have some sort of centralized database and that's how you are able to process these transactions from pos1 to pos2 to pos3 right so what was the the underlying glue that was enabling this transaction was this custom built layer from the microservices perspective or was it some sort of erp system that you were utilizing underneath now in in a part of the the association retail technology standards work and really the what got me involved in it was being able to define standard messages and one of the standard messages was a point of sale message one's on customer one's on item and so now back to the talking a common language everybody used these messages to communicate back and forth and again since everybody's using the cqrs model each of these messages went into the first data model and get summarized up into the second model and that meant that that you could take the there's there's one message called pause log and my title is the wizard of pause because of my helping create that particular one so the the wizard of pause helped them understand how to interconnect all of this stuff using the standard messages that are available in the omg.org/retailworld so tell us a little bit about this message so let's say if i have my 
POS systems from either the NCR CR or the IBM or the Square or whichever POS system you are using. So are they going to be compliant with, let's say, the CQRS standard? Shall I be asking them if they are compliant with that? If not, am I customizing the POS system to make sure that, you know, they are compliant with the CQRS message? Also, I mean, the retailers are going to use some sort of either the warehouse management system or the ERP system underneath. Are they compliant with the CQRS standard or do we need to make them compliant with the CQRS? Actually, the the CQRS standard is the end repository. What they really need to be focused on is the interface standards. And you'll find that the the pause log standard I was just talking about is very widely adopted worldwide. And it is the, the message that should come out of the point of sale system. And most of them do. Most of them have that coming out. And that's the one that uses the interface with the, the transactional component of the, the CQRS model. So there's, there's standard messages. There's over 40 different standard messages for everything from the retailer side to the vendor side. Now, in addition, GS1 has got some, some of the standards that deal with actually communicating to manufacturers. So, you know, the, the UPC codes, for example, is is their standard. And so it's not the CQRS that's the, the key for the point-of-sale people. It's more the message interfaces and being able to use a common lexography. Okay, all right. Do you have any other stories that you would like to share, Richard? Well, I just finished working with a company called Sencosud in South America. They're the largest retailer down there. And they were upgrading their point-of-sale system. And they wanted to go to this standard message model. And so they had me come down and show them how to convert the message out of this point-of-sale system to the standard model because they wanted to have the same message coming out of their point-of-sale systems across all of South America. And they've got something like 1,600 Costco-sized stores down there. It's, it's an enormous thing. And they just rolled it out of Chile into Venezuela. So it's starting to be rolled out uh, across the entire South American continent. Okay, amazing. Do you have any last-minute closing thoughts? That's it for today, Richard. Yeah, the buy-online pickup in the store model is greatly supported by the microservices world. And one of the videos that are out there talks about how to move into this microservices because I only touched the top part of that. The details on how to make it all work, it's really pretty amazing. And uh, it's all there for you to, to take a look at. Okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from the conversation is going to be buy online, pick up at store may look simple at surface, but it's uh, much deeper and complex. So do your research before you start implementing that. On that note, Richard, I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate your insight. Thank you for asking me. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Richard, head over to globalretailtechnologyadvisors.com. It's G-L-O-B-A-L-R-E-T-A-I-L-T-E-C-H-N-O-L-O-G-Y-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Paul Sklar, who takes us through the retail industry's deep dive. Also, the interview with Chase Clymer, who brings a unique perspective for manufacturers and e-commerce merchants from his experience of helping customers getting their e-commerce businesses to grow from the ground up. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.